Oh, hello to all you Five Things listeners out there. This is the show where every week, the folks at Gray break down the most exciting stories in all things social media. But this week, we're doing something a little different. It's Pride Month, that fabulous time of year where we celebrate the queer community, honor the history and struggle of those who came before us, and reflect on what pride means. To do so, I am so, so happy to bring you a special conversation around pride and to be joined by such stunning guests. We first have Graham Nolan, the co-chair of Storytelling and Partnership at Do The Work and a former colleague here at Gray New York. Hi, Graham. How's it going? I'm good. Now, Graham, what is your gay anthem? Oh, my gay anthem is the song Queer by the band Garbage. I remember the first time that I ever heard it, I was peeling wallpaper at my stepdad's mom's house, listening to alternative rock and going like, are we, can we say this word? Can you say this word in a song? And it just sort of felt bad. And it was like Shirley Manson giving us all permission to use the word. It was great. I love that. We also have B Pankey, the head of voice at Grey London. Hello from across the pond, B. Hey, Tommy, how's it going? I'm good. Now, B, when you think of slaying, who do you think of in particular? If there's a person, like who stands out as especially just someone who slays to you? Mm, what a question. Who slays to me? So we have a fabulous drag queen in the UK called Bimini Bomboulash, who, oh, I see a face I of recognition. Well. I know her mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. And for me, they slay. They slay because they redefine drag in so many different ways and they bring the East London weirdness. We're kind of weird in East London. And they bring that to the art form in a way that I just don't think many people do. So for me, it's got to be Bimini. Nice. We stand Bimini on the Five Things podcast and putting that, that's going in our notes. That's our history. And last but certainly not least, we also have from London, this is a very Anglophile episode this week, Asad Sheikh, Joint Head of Strategy at Grey London and Director of Marketing and Communications at Pride in London. Asad, what does your Google Calendar look like? Oh my God. You don't want to know. It does not differentiate between AM and PM anymore. I'm living a wonderful flight attendant life right now. <laughs> which I'm oh my God. And my question for you is, do you have a favorite queer movie, a favorite gay queer John Waters flick, anything like that? Yes, actually. And funnily enough, the movie's called Pride. A lot of people don't know about it. It's a masterpiece of allyship. It's how LGBTQI community are partnered up with Welsh miners, which you would never think would happen in history, but it did, and fought for LGBTQI rights. It always makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It is a beautiful story of both allyship and also living out the life the way you wanted to. And if you truly look in the right places with honesty, you can find allyship in so many lovely places. It's, it's a piece of history and it is just to say that it's based on true events as well. So it's not necessarily just fiction. It's, it's wonderful. I would recommend it to anybody. Anybody who wants to have a laugh and a cry watch it. I would too. It's a fantastic movie. My name is Tommy Boyce. I'm a co-host of the Five Things Podcast and a social strategist here at Gray New York. Let's dive in. First, I want to start us off with a question that no longer really is asked, given that it seems to become the norm. But why do we have pride campaigns? Why is it that every June we see companies who have usually not spoken up previously coming out of the woodwork, specifically market towards queer folk? Graham, given what you do with Do The Work, I'd love for you to start us off on this. Why do you think we still have or have it just in the first place, pride campaigns? You know, we have pride campaigns because we need progress. And I think that brands are still in a position where they have a growing understanding of the fact that they benefit from our community, that we are their consumers. And if they're going to benefit from us, they had certainly better serve us and had better speak to us, just like they've done to other markets and other consumer segments for years. You bring up the question of like, why now? We need a moment to do this. Certainly what we have made loud and clear is that there is a need for a Pride 365 discussion that is uh, in every single 
podcast, every single article, every single op-ed, hot take think piece about this subject is the, you know, epiphany that like maybe we should be continuing this throughout the year. It's almost like greens fees now. Like you should know that. And when we when you show up during Pride, we definitely want you to show up for the rest of the year as well because we are I am personally gay outside of June. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. The question becomes though, like, you know, if if only June, why that? And it's because it's it's sort of hard to address the rest of the time. If you're not really doubling down, if you're if your product doesn't lend yourself to it, if your brand doesn't lend yourself to like, you know, a nonstop fight for the community. Like maybe, maybe you're like, well, if there's any time I jump in, then we have this time. And that is what it is this for, right? Like pride is is the space where if we're going to have the conversation, we're at least going to have it now. You know, we we talk about creating safe spaces. We talk about creating moments um, in our work. This is that safe space and this is that moment. I'm not saying that people won't mess up. It's We're kind of almost used to that by now. It's like, you know, if, if you're going to say something and mess up, like this is almost kind of the time to do it. We want everyone to do better and we keep telling them how to do better. And when they keep disappointing us, <laughs> Sometimes we're still sort of like, okay, well, how did you know not to make this mistake? But also it's just like, you know, join us, like join the discussion. This is the time to do it. But ultimately, like, you know, it, it is, it is. If you're going to be present in this conversation, if you're going to step into this space, it should be for progress. It should be for equity. You know, I see a bunch of memes right now that are just like, if you wonder why we need pride, it's blank. And they name some terrible inequity or some terrible injustice. I don't need to recite all the terrible things that are happening to us. And if you don't know what's happening to our community in terms of the oppression and the unfairness, then you ain't looking. You are closing your eyes. And that is a willful thing. For people who know about the unfairness that is visited upon LGBTQ communities and people, especially now, especially in the United States with certain legislation that's underway, you know that we need help. So if you are going to step up with the Pride campaign, please bring help and real substantive solutions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with everything going on right now, especially with the U.S., with the conservative blowback towards queer folk, it is more important than ever that people actually take notice and that brands especially have a platform given their visibility to speak up. And I also, I've often said on the podcast, I'm not just gay in June. We'll talk about things relating to queer people and queer creators in February. It's like, hey, I'm coming at you live and clear. I'm in your Spotify feed. But those are some really great points. Asad, do you have any other thoughts about this? Absolutely. I think I love the idea that I am gay beyond June. But what I like to say, you know, I'm extra, extra, extra gay in June. And the reason for that is that I do believe as a community, we need a focal point. And I don't want to make this about religion, but many of Christianity has December and Christmas, you know, Muslims have Eid and Ramadan and all that. So there is, as a community who have chosen to live the life they want to live on their own terms, like any other community, we do need a focal point in the year when it's all about visibility and we really make our demands known when the eye of the society is upon us. So to me, I think it's very important to have that focal point, not just in the linear year, just to, to really highlight. However, I'm in violent agreement with Graham that that should not discontinue beyond that focal point. It should discontinue beyond. But at this point in time, exactly like you said, with it, it also across the pond, the things and the policies and the legislations that is happening over here as well. We just need to use that as a platform to make what we want known because it does create a point where all eyes are on us and all ears are, are hearing what we're trying to say as well. Yeah, and for me, we are still an oppressed and marginalized group. You can see that at every single layer of our society and that marginalization needs to be addressed year round. However, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed about the society. We, we live far from 
a meritocracy. We live far from a place where all people are equal. And um, it's not only our LGBTQIA plus family that deserve equality and justice, it, it's other marginalized groups as well. And I think that the advantage of, of us having a month that we can own, that we can celebrate, really draws attention to our community in a way that can drive real action, having it every single year. So every year people remember and come out for us and stand up for us and stand with us is really important to make sure that we, we get the change that we need. The way that y'all talk about it, the simplicity of like the need that it serves for our community makes me think if we did not have pride today, if it had never had been created, that we would create it now, right? That speaks to the need for it versus like, do we need to keep fighting to create this thing? It's like, it would be one of the first things a corporation thought to do. It would be one of the first things our community thought to do, you know? So I think that the fact that we would we would create it now say something about it. My experience of Pride growing up in the 2010s is obviously very different from one growing up even just a few years earlier in like the late 2000s. So I'd love to ask, how have you all seen a Pride and the way we celebrate and acknowledge Pride change over the years? Asad, could you start us off? Of course, of course. I mean, it's quite a quite a Latin question, but it would be great to, but I'm not going to make it a history lesson. And I, I have to confess, I'm rather old. So, <laughs> but I do want to start with the P in Marsha P. Johnson's names start was stood for pay them no mind. So that's where Pride really, really started along with Sylvia Rivera and, and also the Great Liberation Front with the spirit of protest and defiance. But it's it's definitely come a long way ever since then. That spirit of defiance and protest and marching for our rights has always been there. And when when it started, it's a little known fact that a handful of people that marched in beyond 1950, like around more than 50 years ago in Christopher Street, they had to actually learn to defend themselves just to march. We have come a long way since then. Of course, it started with protest. Now it's more in the space of a celebration, yet it's in a protest. And working for Pride in London, I've always observed that it's always a swing between protest and celebration, but it has changed a lot quite a bit. However, between the protest and celebration, there is one common denominator between that. It is that it's all about visibility. The thing is that we do have the power to swing it in the way that we want to. If It can't all be about protest necessarily because then we are ignoring all the accomplishments that we made in the last 50 years, all the things that we can do that we couldn't do, but also all the hurdles that are coming at the same time as well. So pride is, is, is an interesting thing that morphs and changes all the time in my mind, but we really need to keep in mind what are we marching for, uh, whether it's, is, are we marching to a beat or are we marching to a, a rallying cry, but it's, it's something to keep in mind. That's a really fantastic point. I think of Pride in 2016, which is the first Pride that I ever went to, which is right after the Pulse nightclub shooting. And that Pride took on a very, at times, somber, but it really was, it was a rallying cry that we are still facing so much hate and violence against the world. And it's important now for us more than ever to come together and show that we're not going away, that we're standing together, we're supporting each other. I remember being in my first like ever celebration. And that community was just like indescribable, especially after the face of all that horrific violence. So I, yeah, I feel like every year there's sort of a mission statement almost for each ceremony, each celebration, each, just the month of June in general. I think that pride has become more fragmented. So that mission statement that you sort of speak to, Tommy, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. I think that, you know, the mission statement was loud and clear when it started. And then when you start a tradition, it's easier to stay true to the original mission when you're close to it. And then over time, it's very natural again to like sort of ask this. And I, I love, Assad just this idea of continually questioning what pride means for us. But, but that's different from asking like, 
do we need this anymore? And I know is you know that's worth asking as well. And I think that we sort of covered that at the top. But it's also a matter of yes, we still need it, but what we need right now changes. We as a community change. The fact that it's getting fragmented seems like a bit of a problem because it's like, well, if it means so many different things, does it mean anything? But it's like it has to mean a bunch of different things. We're such a diverse community. We forget that there's so many differences between L and G and B and T and Q. And this is a month that's about our commonalities, but also like, okay, but our commonality is the need to recognize all of our differences also. So it's always going to be like, it's always going to be, I, I think, aside the way that you sort of speak to the unifying factors, the celebration and the protest, how that comes down to visibility, like chef's kiss, I'm like distilling that down to like maybe the most unifying factor. But if pride also continues to be a thousand other things besides that, we just have to like reconcile ourselves with that. And then as people just sort of go like, what does pride mean for me? Like, what do I need to feel safe? What do I need to feel celebrated? What do I need? What do I need to do? And to ask ourselves as people and then for brands to go, it is not our decision to make what pride is about. While people are asking, while the LGBTQ people are asking themselves those questions, how can we help them and how can we speak to them versus brands trying to decide what pride should be? For me, one of the other changes that I think we have seen in pride over the years and something that I think brands would do well to think about is the role of allyship. So when we look back to the start of our journey with pride, we didn't have that many allies who were coming out strongly for us because it was dangerous. I mean, us living our lives was dangerous and it was dangerous for allies to come out in support of us. We had so much misinformation out there, I think particularly about the AIDS crisis and all of the misinformation around that, around, you know, the gay cancer, the gay plague, and how it could be caught, how it could be transmitted. All of the misinformation there made people very afraid to be our allies. We've come a long way since then and our community is embedded more in popular culture in ways that I think are really positive. And so I think people feel much more comfortable wearing the crown of allyship without necessarily doing the work. And, you know, your, your point, Graham, about our community being fractured and fragmented is really, really true. And I think that one of the conversations that we've been having a lot about Pride in London is about our journey as Pride in London and, and how that has interacted with the different intersectionalities of our community. The thing I find every year recently is that allies will always come to Pride in London because they see it as part. What I don't see, the people choosing to wear the crown of allyship doing as much is standing up for us and being there with us when it counts. So petitioning our government to roll back their exclusion of the trans aspect of the conversion therapy ban. In the UK right now, um, conversion therapy is banned for all parts of our LGBTQIA plus community, apart from the T. It's still legal to conduct conversion therapy, what is in reality torture, to our trans siblings. I love seeing allies at Pride. It means a lot to me. I love seeing the rainbows reposted on social media, on Instagram stories. That's great. But I need you to be joining me on the Trans Lives Matter protest. I need you to be petitioning your local MP, your government. And so I think that has been a real shift in what we've seen from people being afraid to, to come out as allyship or not, or not being allies through misinformation and misunderstanding of our community. to now being at a point they're comfortable with the gays next door. They're all right. They know it's not catching, but they're still not coming through while they're enjoying parts of our, our culture, which is important. We need to be celebrated. They're not coming through for us at, at the point where it counts. And I think that is an interesting conversation for brands to be thinking about how are you, you know, within Pride Month, yes, support the LGBTQIA plus community, but how can you better deliver either as an ally yourself as a brand or your audience who may not be LGBTQIA plus, but think of themselves as allies, how can you better facilitate allyship that drives real change as opposed to just visibility? 
through allyship. I think that's one of the movements that we've seen and that we still need to see to go further. Be going off of, you beat me to my next question. You talked about non-queer people being allies and corporations and brands being allies. I think it's an important question. How should we speak about allyship to each other, to our queer family? And how do we be an ally to each other when we don't necessarily share an identity with them? How do I, as a gay man, be the best ally to my trans brothers and sisters, to to my lesbian women out there? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So you can't have a conversation about allyship without having a conversation about privilege and power. And privilege has, in in 2022, has become a bit of a dirty word, particularly, I think, for, for people that have a lot of it. They feel afraid of it as a word. They feel that it's a word that's going to be lobbied against them. The truth is, I, I'm pretty sure that every single person on this planet has a form of privilege, right? It's about understanding the intersectionalities of where privilege comes in. So I am a queer woman. That means that in many ways, I have less privilege than a straight woman. However, I am an able-bodied woman, which means I have more privilege than a disabled woman, right? So there's intersectionalities of our privilege. We are not a monolith. We sit quite comfortably under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella, or depending on what part of the world you're in, um, that that initialism sounds a little bit different, but we sit under this umbrella. But as was mentioned earlier, the experience for me as a queer woman is very different to that of a gay man in, in different scenarios. Understanding the power that you have helps you better understand the allyship that you can offer. So, you know, as I say, I am not disabled. The fact that I am able-bodied means that more often I am listened to, I'm given more precedent, I'm given more platforms to speak out on. I have a duty as someone with that power to use that power responsibly and speak up on behalf of the, the rights that still need to be given and the justice that needs to be given to our disabled family. I'm not intersex, but as someone who doesn't have to go through medical coercion, just for the way I was born, it is my duty to use that power responsibly and look into the things that that community are fighting for and join them in those battles and be with them. So when it comes to allyship, we, we often talk about allyship as something that is for people outside of our LGBTQIA plus community. And, and it is in a way, but it's also for us within the community. So I am not trans. You know, many people will say that the most oppressed and most endangered people on this planet right now are trans women who are of color because that, that's where we have the highest rates of homicide, the highest rate of hate crime. Um, so I have a role as an ally, someone who is not a trans woman of color. I have a role as an ally within that. Just because I'm part of the LGBTQIA plus family does not mean my work stops. I still need to show up for the other parts of our community and recognize the power that I have. You know, the way change happens when you are a marginalized group is that it, it happens incrementally. We look at the securing the vote in the UK, that the suffragette and suffragist movement, we, we romanticize that period quite a lot and it's very important, but let's not forget that the vote was originally secured for women who were married, who had a certain level of income and who owned property. That was the first step. That wasn't for every single woman. It then incrementally moved on. And we look at the rights that we have secured and the privileges that we have secured for our community that tended to start with the, the safety and the comfort of gay men before actually our trans family who were on the front lines fighting for those rights. So power and change happens incrementally. Understand where you are in that place of privilege and power and use that responsibly and educate yourself. For me, that's the conversation that needs to happen around allyship. It's just because we are queer and we are oppressed in one way does not mean the work is done for us and we get to sit back. This is a fight that we need to keep fighting. And I think that there's something I've thought about this a lot recently that it can feel really disheartening to think about all the fights that we still have to do that, you know, we've been fighting for over 50 years for the basic right to exist. 
the fact that we still have so much more to fight for can in and of itself feel really discouraging. But the truth is, we keep fighting because we keep winning. Every single thing they have thrown at us, we have won, we have beaten. And so yes, we are in an appalling position and some of the rights are being rolled back in America. We will keep fighting because we know that for over 50 years, we have been winning. And in the UK, things are being rolled back. Trans rights are not being treated like human rights. We'll keep fighting because for over 50 years, we have been winning. We have overturned every single prejudiced bill and legislation that has come towards us so far. That's what we need allies to show up for. We need to understand our role as allies within the community to other parts of our community. And that's where I would like to see the conversation on allyship going for the future. That's really beautiful. Thank you for that. I think an important part of allyship is knowing our history so we can be better in the future. I mean, there's a Sylvia Rivera way in West Village, New York. And I think about how Sylvia Rivera was thrown to the side by gay men back in the 70s and 60s for being a loud trans woman of color who is not saying the polite thing, who's saying the necessary thing. I think, again, now that I also, unfortunately, trans rights are being restricted in the U.S. and it's the center of this culture war. It's now more important than ever for us to, you know, do better than we have in the past. Again, the work is it's never over. The great work is always beginning. Graham and Assad, I would love to hear your thoughts on this too. B, that's incredibly profound. I love the way that you phrase it. And it, it just takes my mind to a place of like, what are we fighting? We're always just fighting the idea that things were good a certain way and they should stop it that way. That's the core like human truth, I think, that is that is fighting against us here is that people sort of decide, usually at a point where they are the happiest of their lives or the mo- have the most power or privilege in their lives, that things should stay that way forever and they fight to preserve that. And then, you know, what do we see is like when gay, cis, white men reach a certain amount of privilege and they're just like, okay, we can stay this way now. Now that we kind of have what, you know, people had before us, then we're okay. You know, we're having conversations now about people that, you know, communities that we didn't, weren't even talking about 20 years ago and now we're like learning a lot about them and we go, well, you know, that's okay. But like, you know, I still, I still think it should be this. And it's like, you know, we just always have to understand that there are lives that we don't know about, stories that we don't know about, perspectives that we don't know about, that as much as we are talking about trans lives right now, that there are other parts of our community that we still need to learn so much about under recognition that I know so little about asexuality, recently read a short, I'm not saying I did a ton of research, I read a short book about asexuality this week, which felt like an important step to sort of like make sure I understand the principles there. And I learned so much just from this short book, right? It's just to sort of always go, there's so many more stories that I know are out there and that they have community that we need to elevate. And the the more and more you just sort of go like, I am not the center of this story. No one person is the center of this story and we all have to uplift other people for this. And I think that as people who specifically work in this industry, who we've always sort of strived towards creativity, towards finding insight, towards finding humanity, you know, below the business, below the commerce, bringing that up and elevating it so that we can create beautiful things together. Like it's something that we should want to do as professionals in this business. Thank you. Thank you so much, B and, and Graham. I think there's wonderful, wonderful thoughts. I love this meme that I recently read about allyship, which said, babes, if your boyfriend is homophobic, you're not an ally. And I just loved, I just, I just loved it because it just, it, it talks about so many things that we can learn. And I know we talked about protest and celebration for pride. And that's like the pendulum that swings between the yin and yang. But to me, somewhere in the middle is education. We just, we need to teach. The library should always be open. In this case, we should always, always be teaching what is allyship. And I think how B has beautifully put it, like, what is it? Is, is it based on privilege? How Graham is exploring different aspects of our community as well, putting all of 
that together? How do we show people? Because sometimes there are different levels of allyship. Oh, I, you know, I showed up at Pride and wore a rainbow. That's great. I'm not only talking about individuals. I'm also talking about brands because that education then allows brands to be better allies. Yes, you may be stuck off with a rainbow. I know I mean completely. I do understand cancel culture has a place in our society. I completely understand that. However, it is also our responsibility beyond cancellation. If there are people, brands, individuals who want to do a little bit more, how do we take them on that journey? For Pride in London, we created a really simple mantra, which is brand values of Pride in London are visibility, unity, and equality, right? Great brand has brand values. Lovely, great, wonderful. The actual purpose about those was, was not for us in the community or the communities that we represent. It was equally important for our corporate sponsors, brands who want to come and work for Pride in London. What are you doing for visibility? What are you doing for unity? What are you doing for equality? And start with your own employees. What are you doing them? Are you making them visible? Are you uniting them with a particular front? Are you treating them equal given to where their place is with the privilege that they have, not just blanking everybody else? So just, just having that stencil or filter to challenge either individuals or brands, like what are you doing in this space? And you'll be really surprised. A lot of brands came back to us like, we never even thought about it that way. We need to start doing this a little bit more. So there is with that understanding the whole lovely conversation that we've opened about allyship is also important to teach allies or would-be allies in how to do it in the best way possible and also the simplest way possible. And Pride provides a wonderful platform to do that. It really does. And we've talked a lot about how Pride is and the history of Pride. But an important question we have to ask is, where do we go from here? What do you see the future of Pride being? And how should Pride grow and evolve in a perfect world? Where is Pride 20 years from now? Saad, do you want to kick things off? Thank you, Tommy. I love I love this question because my, my role at Pride in London as a marketing communications director is an entirely voluntary role and I don't get paid to do any of that. And then I question myself, why the hell am I doing this? And then obviously that led me down to this, like, so why, why am I doing this for Pride? Why does Pride matter and where should it go? And after, I think a lot of reading, educating myself through people who in within the communities that we, we fight for, the singularity of that to me is Pride has always been about marching for the other. 20 years ago, it was for lesbians and gays, or 50 years ago. Now it is for non-binary and trans people. 30 years from now, it might be some for somebody entirely different that I can't even imagine exactly how the elders could not imagine where we are right now. However, as long as there is the other, we keep on marching. So the evolution of pride is always having a, a very clear understanding about whose rights are we fighting for, whose rights are we protesting for, in addition to celebrating the people that who have already have those rights. Within that, pride is pride, but there are lots of prides now. There is in the UK, there is UK Black Pride. It's one of the biggest Black and ethnic minority prides gatherings of LGBTQIA plus community in the world, which is wonderful. Often what media does is that they always try to pit us pride in London against UK Black Pride for whatever reason. However, it, it, it always reminds me about the Whitney and Mariah battle at some point in time. It's like, why can't there be two divas in this world? Does the world does not have enough divas. I celebrate UK Black Pride. I celebrate any pride that they feel makes the people that is marching in that pride makes them visible. I, I personally believe there are not enough prides. I wish there could be a pride every day because there are not enough. We need that visibility. As far as the evolution of pride goes, I think 
I don't know. I think it's very exciting. As long as there's many other people who want to be represented in our lovely space, there should be more prides and we should be encouraging more. I love that. And I can confirm there are not enough divas in the world. So I'm all for welcoming any more and widening the field for as many prides, as many fantastic Whitney Mariah duets as possible. Bean Graham, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, uh, I, I love and agree with all of that. I think for me, the exciting thing about the future of Pride, you said earlier, Tommy, about how young you were. And I'm not going to out my own age here, although I disagree with the idea that a woman's value stops at 21. I think we get better with age. But I think the interesting thing now is that we are learning so much from Gen Z. Oh my God, they are teaching us so much all the time. And you think about how, you know, millennials are, are speaking to Gen Xers and educating them on, on all of the different issues. You know, you mentioned earlier, Asad, that we were, we were fighting for different things 50 years ago and it has changed as time has gone on. I think that the exciting thing about the future of Pride is that it, it probably isn't going to so much be in our hands on this call right? It's the teenagers who are on TikTok right now who are going, oh my God, what do you mean you didn't know about the intersex fight for bodily autonomy? Educate yourself. The future really is in their hands. And I think we're not going to know what the future of pride is going to be. And that is so exciting. We have so much more to discover. And as we secure more and more rights and we kind of claw ever closer to equality, more of the breadth of our gorgeous family is going to be able to come out and into its own. You, know, you look at the conversations around non-binary as a gender. Non-binary people have existed all throughout history. However, they have not always had a platform to talk and they have not always had a platform to be celebrated or to be acknowledged. And that is changing. The next generation are going to change it even more. We are going to discover so much more about the glorious uh, spectrum of humanity that we have. That is what diversity is. It's just the spectrum of humanity. And as we secure more, we're going to find out more. We're going to discover that there are more fights that we are going to win, but we're going to get to celebrate so much more. So I have no idea what the future of Pride is going to be, but I am very excited to find out. Um, I think that what shines through in all that you said is that Pride is action-oriented. There's so many other cultural moments that are about reflection, that are only about celebration, that are about consumption, that Pride was founded in action, and that no matter what, even if the pendulum has swung more towards celebration, that is still protest. For us to go out and love ourselves is protest, right? For us to express ourselves and get through the discomfort and to welcome allies in the discomfort with us, that is still very action-oriented, even if it's just a matter of us, like, you know, of us educating and connecting, like, that's action-oriented because things happen from it. So I'm not, again, trying to apples to apples pride with other holidays. But I will say that like relative to some other cultural moments, action has been core to what this is. And yes, I strongly believe in what you say that we, we have to not only recognize that the future generations will decide what pride is, but that we have to support them in that. But that also, you know, we have to be able to take action and not just sort of passively go like, oh, it's nice that they're doing that. They own pride now. They can have it. We have to step up with them to continue the discomfort, to continue the action, uh, because that is how we will continue to support progress as the later generations. And I'm I'm 43. I'm somewhere in the middle. As I watch people go, my intern doesn't know who Def Leppard is. And then they're just like, can you believe that? And then you just go, well, of course not. Your intern was born after Def Leppard was popular, but you, you people dismiss them. They're just like, well, that's not a person I could take seriously. And you just need to like sort of go like, you know, again, stop centering yourself in the story and make sure that you are continually out there committing to action for the people who will guide this discussion. For sure. I'm all for supporting interns who do not know who Def Leppard is because that was me one day. And now I'm here. Fully employed. Love that that we've had amazing discussions on pride and its history and where we go from here. But I want to ask the three of you, what does pride mean to you? And as we enter June, our focal point, when we as queer people 
are at are most visible. How do you express and find meaning in pride? Because for me, I actually really do feel energized every June. I always feel that, oh, it's, I see the flags, which, you know, they're cheesy and you see the, the ads on Twitter, but I'm still, part of me is always like, it's June, this is our time. This is our time to come together as community. So I'd love to hear from you all, starting with Grant, on what pride means to you. I mean, it feels like a month-long version of my birthday. And as I say this as someone who celebrates my birthday for basically a month, it's like, and I, I've never quite understood, like, I get it, but I, I never quite relate to people who don't like to celebrate their birthdays. This is this is about, like, you existing. This is about, like, it, it's just an amazing thing that you're here. And so do the things that you love and be around the people that you love and let them, like, let them love you. Pride is 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 that for an entire month and that that's necessary. You know, it's, it's sort of funny that we're a couple years into public discourse and having, like, the pop cultural rhetoric of, of self-love that, like, for some strange reason, we had to wait for Lizzo to arrive, sent straight from the heavens, if you believe in them, to teach us that we should all like ourselves and treat ourselves well. And, and you know, and then there, there's certainly there have been brands that have tried to like sort of sell us that and commercialize that for a while. But like, you know, we're just seeing sort of more pop cultural conversation around like, you know, you should love yourself radically and like uh, accept yourself. And, you know, to have the climate for that, it, it, it's really important. I am someone who I love myself. It was very hard to get to the place where I could say that without any apology for it, without throwing in the caveat of, well, I don't want you to think I'm conceited, but it's like, I don't care what the F you think of me. I love myself. Does mean that I act in a different way. And it is something that I made a conscious decision to do. Pride for me personally is a moment and a space that we've talked about that's important to create. If it didn't exist, we would create it again to remind people that we are here, that we exist, and that that is enough for us to love ourselves. And that's a very important thing that plays out in so many different like actions and behaviors and culture. Oh my God, I could not love that more. Yes, I'm with you on this self-love bandwagon. I love myself. Similarly to you, Graham, I often say I love myself. And I also know I'm really good at my job. And some people choose to interpret that as arrogance. And I'm absolutely fine with them thinking that's arrogance. We've talked about visibility. It's about showing that this self-love is possible and that you can be unapologetically yourself. You know, my, my journey with my queerness, I've always known that I was queer, but I have not felt comfortable talking about it for most of my life because we, we touched on intersectionality earlier. As a woman existing in the society that we have, my existence as a woman is hypersexualized all the time. And when you add to that the layer of being queer, my identity is hypersexualized. And that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. So I have not talked about my sexuality a lot We're at work or a few friends knew, but my family didn't, didn't sort of really know. And actually one of the things that has massively changed that and being able to have these conversations and feeling comfortable having these conversations has only really come to me over the last year and a half. Asad knows this very well. We had some conversations at Grey where Asad said, you know, last year, I would love you to talk more from Grey Unite, which is our um, employee representation group for the LGBTQIA plus members of our family. And I said, I'm not ready because I don't want people to know that I'm queer because I feel really nervous of being sexualized for that. And it is through the visibility of amazing, amazing queer people that I work with. And I have to shout out to Laura Jordan Bambach, our amazing president at Grey London, who is unapologetically a queer woman who talks about that aspect of her identity. And seeing that happen really started to change something in my head where I'd, I'd kind of listen to her talk and I'd look around the room and kind of go, what, what, are, what are people doing in response? And seeing her live that truth with almost an air of like, come and try and say something, like just try it. Seeing that and seeing the response and seeing the acceptance and seeing her power in that is a huge part, a huge part 
of why I am able to sit on this podcast today and talk about this and not feel scared and not feel nervous and not feel like I need to keep it quiet. And when I think about pride and the impact of it, I think about like the little Graham and the little Asad and the little Tommy and the little B who are out there somewhere going, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Can I be? Should I be? Is it all right? Looking at us going, hey, I love myself. I love myself exactly as I am. I don't need to change a thing about myself. I'm going to grow and I'm going to develop as a human being, but change myself fundamentally? No, baby, no. And living that truth, I think about how amazing that is for them. And, and that is so important. We show up for each other, but we show up for our younger selves and we show up for the next generation. So it's not even just the kids. It's the it's the 50-year-old woman who never felt like she could talk about her sexuality at work, starting to feel like maybe I can. It's the 60-year-old trans person who's only just coming out as non-binary because they never thought they could. Now they're seeing other people doing it. That is the real power and excitement of pride. And that's what I I just absolutely love the amount of love that is concentrated in this podcast. It's just wonderful. It makes me emotional. I just could not echo more that what you've already said, Graham and B as well. Graham, I, I applaud your self-love. I think that's something all of us really need to learn from. B, I am so absolutely proud of you of the journey that you've been on. Just to echo what B was saying about the little Asads and the little Bs and the little Graham. I'm originally from Pakistan. I was born there. The first time I read about people like me as gay people was in Time magazine when it talked about the AIDS epidemic. It was not a positive introduction being the way I am. However, the the first time I experienced Pride was here in, in London, which is my journey towards Pride in London started. And it was 15 years ago. And that's where just being there, I saw that as I grew up, I did love myself. But I think just understanding that there are people out there, regardless if they're like me or not, celebrate who I am was such an important moment in my life. And I think to this day, I feel that if any pride can recreate that moment in anybody's life, we've done our job right. One of my favorite authors, Marion Wright Edelman, and I love this quote, is like, you can't be what you can't see. So it's just pride just gives us that permission to be who we are and to be seen who as we are and then having love around us. It is so unbelievably important that I feel that 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 is what pride means to me. Thank you, Asad, for that. It's beautiful. I think pride, I think it was sort of like a coming home, not even a coming out. It's a coming back to the community. Like when I enter a gay bar playing sort of, you know, like the disco hits and you see your queens and your friends. It's like, oh, I'm coming back to people that I love and that I care about and that understand me. And there's really just nothing better. And that is all she wrote for this episode. I want to thank our amazing guests for joining us for this fantastic discussion. Please check out the great work they are currently doing. And if you haven't already, please add us the Five Things Podcast on Apple and Spotify. And tell your friends, tell your local drag queen, tell your upstairs neighbor. Thank you so much for listening. Be social and have a wonderful pride. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.